In the latest Future of Foods interviews, I spoke to Lane Clark, the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Manager at the Good Food Institute. There's arguably no organisation in the world with better insight into the future of alternative proteins. Claire was able to give Future of Foods interviews first-hand interpretation into where the industry is heading, who is investing, how much and in which areas. From our conversation, there is definitely room for optimism. I'm Alex Crisp and welcome to the Future of Foods interviews, episode 25, uh, which is also now available on YouTube. Okay, so thank you, thank you, Lane, for joining me. I was wondering if you could just uh, open up by telling me a little bit about yourself. How long have you been at the GFI, and what you what you do there? Sure, and thank you so much for having me. I am the innovation and entrepreneurship manager for the Good Fit Institute. So I work very closely with uh, all types of investors. Uh, and certainly closely with Sharon, but I did want to make that that one correction because she's awfully good at what she does. Mm. Um, I've been at GFI for about uh, two and a half years, and I'm also an entrepreneur in residence for the Georgetown um, for Georgetown University's uh, entrepreneurship program. So I've been in the startup world for quite a while, and then uh, prior to that, I was a founder myself. And um, so I've been working with startups for about twenty years. And working with startups, of course, involves a lot of working with uh, investors and helping mobilize capital. So just to give you a little bit of background on the Good Food Institute, we're a nonprofit think tank and international network of organizations. We're building a more sustainable food system by transforming meat production. We have about uh, a little over 200 team members right now across six economies that include Asia-Pacific, Israel, India, Brazil, Europe, and the U.S. And in each of these geographies, we cover policy, SciTech, and corporate engagement. We are primarily funded through philanthropist and private grant-making foundations, which helps us very much because we don't we can remain agnostic and we're not tied to any one corporation. We um, publish a vast amount of open access research, and we also have one-to-one advisory services. Uh, so we are, we're, I hope, providing a service that is quite unique in the alt-protein universe. Yeah, so you say that you've worked uh, with a couple of startups before. What were these startups, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, sure. They were in the pet food sector, actually, which sounds like it might not be related, but it's actually quite related because um, animals consume a great deal, of domestic animals consume a great deal of the conventional meat production across the globe. And Food, one of those startups that I was with was actually uh, a vertically integrated company that uh, focused on regenerative, organic, and sustainable farming. Um, so lots of education there. And what happened was I, I kind of going up the, the chain and realizing that I wasn't having enough impact. So even with regenerative agriculture and organic farming and sustainable farming, I still felt like I was producing a product versus going and helping to shift a food system. So GFI was the logical choice for where to go to actually make a global impact. Okay, uh, you might be interested. I don't know whether you've heard the news that uh, yesterday uh, cultivated meat was uh, approved in the EU for sale in pet food. Uh, fantastic news. 
it is great news um i mean it's um it's uh, i mean i'm i'm not sure whether it's indicative of 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 the eu's um intentions to uh, approve more widely cultivated meat but it it's certainly good for pet food um yeah, you you bring you bring up an interesting point because time will tell we'll have to see what happens but uh while it is an area of great impact it also may or may not affect consumer perceptions. So I'm very interested to see where that tracks in the coming months and years. Yes. Um, and also with the GFI, you were talking about uh, funding. I've, I've, I've always been quite surprised by just how much money they seem to have at the GFI. So, so there are some, there are some, there are some very deep pockets there. I, I've, I've always, I've always imagined. I mean, are you able to sort of talk about the kind of donors and, you know, the philanthropists. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that our donors, first of all, yes, we have incredibly generous donors and, and they're motivated by different things. So some are interested in mitigating climate change. Some are achieving globe, trying to achieve global food security. Others might be interested in human health and some might be uh, motivated by animal welfare. And so because I think the work we do impacts so much of the planetary problems that we have, that affect so many of them, we, uh, we have a, a broad array of donors who might come to us for different reasons. And yes, they they have been consistently incredibly generous. We also have a really caring development team. And I think that they are uh, just uh, in, absolutely amazing, the work they do, the way they build relationships. It's just um, a masterclass. So I'm I'm really grateful to each and every person, no matter, no matter what they're giving, each foundation, yeah. each person it all adds up and we need it because that's the only way that we exist. Yeah. So are there any, uh, are there any kind of major donors? I mean, you know, do you have the likes of Jeff Bezos on your, on your, on your, on your list, but if you no, did, we, would you even be allowed to, would you even be allowed I, to? I'm not, unfortunately, we, we no. keep uh, our donors anonymous, uh, at least when we're talking publicly. And I think that that's out of respect for their choices and, and what they decide to do. So yeah. I'll, Yes. I'll, with a great respect, skip that one. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Um, I've spoken to a, a few people working with the GFI. I spoke to Radhika uh, in India, and I've I've spoken yeah. uh, um, Chris Krauss in in Japan, and uh, a couple of other people. So, so I yes, I I, I have I have um, I have been very interested in the work of 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 GFI. It seems to have quite a few functions and one of those functions now is to encourage investment into the alternative space so right. you are i mean are you seeing investment increasing at the moment or decreasing yeah so this is a really interesting question because it's it's complex so i want i want to first start by saying this industry is nascent it is still brand new and what happened was a few years ago i think a lot of people latched onto it with a probably bit of uh, irrational exuberance for how far it had had advanced at that point. So we we saw really crazy valuations. Um, we saw investors kind of just pouring into the space, and there was so much deal flow, and there was fear of missing out, and and all of that that comes with sort of those moments for a sector. And I think that what's happened now has been affected greatly by the the macroeconomic situation, of course. Um, and I think if, if you look just sort of globally, venture funding has declined about 42% compared to the same time frame in, tw in 2022. 
So our industry has been impacted as well. Food tech in general has been impacted. I will say that you know, year to date, we've raised about 682 million for the sector. That's a meaningful decline from last year, which was 2.9 billion. So when you hear it put that way, it sounds like, oh my gosh, the sky is falling, but that's not what's happening. We're having a correction of a sector that was probably overblown before for how far it had come. And now I think we're riding the ship. This is good news to us. We of course wanna see much more money in the sector in the coming years, but I like to see sort of a rationalization of a sector because it goes along with the Gartner hype curve. And, and we've seen this many, many times in different industries. I think electric vehicles are an interesting comparison. You know, in 2011, there was a declaration that it was the year of the electric vehicle. Well, we know that wasn't true, but flash forward, you know, 12 years and you have Norway, 80% of new car sales are electric vehicles. We're expecting that same kind of curve to happen for all proteins. Okay. So you're not expecting there to be a, a bit of a sort of a burst bubble, like with the, uh, you know, like with the dot-com boom and, and the kind of technology boom. And- no, this is not, this is definitely not a blip or a bubble. And the reason it's not is that we have to shift the food system. It's just not sustainable. If we continued down this path, we would need many, many more planets than we have. And that's just not going to happen. So we're going to have to find the answers. And there is a very healthy, thriving ecosystem out there working on all kinds of aspects of all proteins up and down the value chain. And the hype around the burst bubble, I think, is just that. It's hype. It makes for good headlines. But we are just seeing a normal growth of an industry, and especially during times of of geopolitical distress and macroeconomic decline, I think we're holding up pretty well. In fact, our uh, deal sizes in our sector were a little larger uh, quarter over quarter this year than in food tech as a whole. Okay. I mean, there are some, you know, there are probably some companies uh, that are overpriced, wouldn't you say, that's, that have had a bit, that have had a bit yeah. too much money kind of pumped into them and they're not really producing. I'm not going to name it. Yeah, I think, obviously, I, I think just, just like with any new sector, again, you see a lot of companies rush in and only a few sort of stand out. So one of the things that happened, which I, I think was unfortunate, is that there was a, a priority placed on rushing to the shelves. So for CPG companies, it was kind of who can get the product out fastest. And when that happens, sometimes taste goes by the wayside. So we acknowledge that sort of um, plant-based food in the past mm, five years or so, the innovation around it may not have come up to where it needed to be with taste parity. And that matters. So some investors, I think, jumped on the bandwagon a little soon. And now what we're seeing is a big, big shift where investors are saying, hold on a minute, I need to do a lot of due diligence. I want to really de-risk this investment. And maybe they're asking for a techno-economic analysis, or maybe they're asking for a life cycle assessment, but they're definitely not just saying, I want to get into this space because everybody else is there. Mm-hmm. They're asking a lot more questions now. Yeah, and I suppose these plant-based companies are asking themselves a lot more questions as well, because they were kind of producing product that wasn't as as good as the real thing and cost two or three times more than the real thing. So, and so they've had to kind of realign themselves with the consumer expectations. 
Yeah, I think that we we probably needed to focus a little more on consumer expectations. And so fortunately, we're still way, way, way early in the game and we can do that. And I by no means think that these kinds of hiccups are unusual for new industries. I think they're completely to be expected. And I think we've been pretty quick in realizing that we need to do a better job of getting better products to the shelf. And there are some really good products out there. I don't want to... Um, malign the entire sector, plant-based sector, but I think it's it's pretty much common knowledge that some of them just didn't reach taste parity. Right. Okay. So where have you noticed, um, where have you noticed, Lane, that most of the money right now is going, if it's not going on the plant-based sector, um, where do you think most of the money is going? Which area of the industry and which countries? Yeah. So, so this year, as of, Oct- as of mid-October, we had about 312 million invested in fermentation globally, about 201 million invested in plant-based globally, and about 169 in cultivated. And I, I want to provide a caveat about that, which is we're such a we're we're led by a lot of um, large investments in one or two companies, so the numbers can skew very quickly. We have a handful of growth stage investment, and those deals account for the majority of the investments in any given quarter. So just to draw a point, put a fine point on it, in 2022, 3% of alternative protein deals accounted for half of the total investment dollars in APs. Um, and those were in the in the big deals. So I, I think you know, when you look at it that way, you kind of can understand how these numbers, while reflective and meaningful, can get skewed very quickly. Can you explain to that, yeah, explain that to me. Uh, you know, because I, 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 I didn't quite understand what what you were saying then. So, in twenty twenty two, can you explain that to me again, please? What, yeah. What? So, three uh, percent of the deals in twenty twenty two. Yeah. Accounting for half of the investments. So, in other words, okay. you have oh, I see. really big deals accounting for a big chunk of yeah. the investment, and then a lot of the smaller deals make up oh, I see. the rest. Okay. And so it takes maybe one quarter, you have a deal that's just monstrous, you know, that's a couple hundred million. Well, that's going to, I mean, when you're looking at numbers like, okay, we had cultivated 169 million year to date. If this had been a few years ago and Upside was getting their investment, that would number would have ballooned. Yes. Okay. And so this money is coming through GFI, is it? So is it just... You know, are you, oh, are that, you kind of acting no, no, as a no. broker? No, not really. No, no. We we are we are strictly a think tank. And yeah. so we're not we're not not only is it not coming through us, but we're not making uh direct connections to any we're not saying, hey, uh ex investor, this is why startup, we think you all should meet. We we mm. we can't do that. Um, because of US regulations uh, around the type of organization we are. So what we do, though, is we create resources that investors and startups can use when they're looking at available and and attractive deals. So we have an investor database, a fundraising database, and we just started a funds database. Uh, And so with these resources, they can see who's in the space, see who's looking, um, find out who's interested in in maybe uh, raising at that time. And then we also have other resources like we have a mentor program that includes some uh, very incredibly generous people with deep industry expertise. A lot of them are investors. And so they will provide guidance for startups or investors 
uh, as needed. So we, we try to create as many resources as possible to expedite and mobilize capital into the sector, but we certainly aren't handling any of those deals. Right. Okay. Because I got invited to the fund, um, the the uh, GFI fund. So I, I suppose in order to to join that, because I didn't go through the process, but I, I suppose you would sort of say how much you want to invest and what area you might want to invest in. Is, is that? Is yeah, that if you're an investor, you would join the directory by saying, this is my area of interest. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a lot more of that you would provide about your, your fund. Uh, and then people, in, it would either be for startups to come in, but with the new fund directory, we can actually have funds come in and look at uh, limited partners who are interested in the sector. So we've got quite a few resources that I think I, I do think we we do quite a bit to move capital around the world, but we just never get involved directly. Okay, okay. Just going back to what you were saying earlier, you you said that uh, you said that last year it seemed like the majority of the money invested was going into precision fermentation. For this uh, year, this, this year. So oh, that's this yeah. year. Okay, um, and the least amount is going into cultivated meat. Uh, so I I suppose people are slightly cautious about about its success maybe. well i don't i don't know that it reflects so much the caution as it reflects the maturity of each of the platforms so plant-based has obviously been around forever a really 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 long time decades and has um been a focus for for investors for a long time fermentation is newer but it has more traction than cultivated and cultivated is the newest so i think when you look back to the last decade, we're really seeing that reflected in the numbers in terms of how much money is going into each one of the platforms. And just for some um, comparison purposes, so in 2022, fermentation came in at 842 million versus 312 to date this year. Um, cultivated was at 883 versus 169. Wow. This goes back to what we were talking about in terms of a few big deals can can send the numbers different ways. So keeping that in mind, yes, it has definitely been a different kind of year for us, mm. but I don't think that the, the cultivated numbers accurately reflect the interest in cultivated meat. With that said, we are seeing a lot of investors being a little bit more careful and cultivated is earlier, so it's harder to de-risk it. And I suppose precision uh, uh, has the has the um, uh, has you know you 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 have a kind of nearer return on your investment perhaps with precision than you would on cultivated meat. So at, at least that's the perception. I think that's probably true. It depends on what part of fermentation you're dealing with because there's biomass of course and that's a that's definitely a quicker commercialization process we see that um with very with a lot of companies already um and then you have a situation where if you're going into precision fermentation it depends if you're trying to produce an ingredient then i think yes that could be fairly if you're doing a precision fermentation created fat and you were going to use that in a plant-based burger or something yeah that could be commercialized fairly quickly yeah and cultivated it you know we're, we're already seeing it on some tiny <laughs> a tiny percentage of plates in the u.s but i think what's happening in cultivated is we're reaching some potential tipping points so the growth media for example um ha that's traditionally been the most expensive part of cultivated meat so 
that has been a challenge. And we're seeing a lot of innovation in that area bringing costs down. And so I think that over the next five years, for example, a, a lot of companies are predicting that they'll be able to bring those costs down to parity for like $1 or less than $1 a liter, which is where we need to be. And if that happens, then I think the path to commercialization is much faster. Um, I should bring up, however, that we have a very big obstacle coming our way with uh, regards to commercialization, and that is capacity. We have to have the ability to get these technologies commercialized, and yet it's extremely expensive and it requires specialized equipment in some cases. And we just don't have the capacity we need yet. So GFI is working hard on that problem, as are many other companies around the world and governments. And I think we can get there, but there are many, many questions. And of course, there it gets complicated because are are we going to see more greenfield or brownfield? Can companies go from being science-based also running their own facility? Those are two very different uh, types of businesses to be in. Um, so I think that that's a really interesting space to watch. Yes. And I don't, it, it's one that probably is going to move beyond venture capital. So that's where we're going to have to see governments get really involved. Okay. So when you talk about capacity, you're talking about kind of building the bioreactors and... and uh... Build, yeah, build, building the tanks, the cultivators, making sure that the the equipment is correct for, for what's happening we can't just we can't retrofit everything a lot of it will have to be built and we have very innovative companies working on that problem as well so we're seeing all of these cultivated meat advancements happen quickly and i think that we're going to get there faster than we had planned but we're by no means in an advanced stage of cultivated meat i mean this is this is years before everybody's going to be able to walk into their local grocery store and pick it up. Right. Okay. Well, that, I mean, that that depends who you ask, doesn't it? I mean, I've been told that we should see it in the supermarkets in three years by some scientists, but I suppose the problem is I'm talking to people in the industry who are who are perhaps. Well, I very intentionally said I, I very intentionally said years and didn't put a number on it because we don't know. I mean, if no. these advancements continue and if they increase then we could see a very much expedited path to market. But there are just certain hurdles that are going to have to be overcome. And we're at the beginning of overcoming them. And regulatory is a big one. We've got to have a lot of governments approve cultivated meat. We have to uh, make sure that we have cost parity, that we have taste parity, which is much easier to achieve in cultivated meat, of course. But And we're going to have to have the investment because Mm. some of these facilities are, I mean, I think, the estimate is three to 400 million sometimes for one of these facilities. And so that's a lot of money. That's not VC capital. VC capital isn't patient enough for cultivated meat commercialization, quite honestly, in most cases. Mm. So there, we might be able to approach it through blended finance or project finance, uh, definitely through government intervention here, I think is, I think that's going to be the key. I think governments really need to fund not just the, the research, but also the infrastructure. And what and do you think there's a good chance of that? I suppose it depends on whether Donald Trump gets into, into power or not, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I think there is a good chance. But right now we're seeing the, the countries leading the way are Singapore, Denmark, Canada, Australia, the Netherlands, UK, Israel. 
Uh, unfortunately, you didn't hear me say the U.S. there. No. We're working on that. No. Um, but the U.S. leads the way in investments, but the government support is not is not as um, as well developed in the U.S. in this sector, unfortunately. But we we hope that that will change. Uh, we're, we're definitely joined by many people around the U.S. working on that problem. Um, I think there's a very good chance that this will become a priority for many, many governments in the future because of all the problems it solves. So not only do we feel like uh, there's a, a huge issue around food security, which will be the motive for some countries, but we're also just looking at the issues of deforestation and climate change. And um, I think that uh, the the sector could support, I think it's 9.8 million jobs. Mm. Uh, so that's economic value coming to uh, different regions. And then I think also the number is uh, 1.1 trillion in economic value if the sector comes to maturation. However, that's going to require about 10 million per year from governments globally to get there. Okay. So, the, but the benefits- 10 million or 10 billion? Sorry. Oh, sorry. 10 billion. Right. Okay. Yeah. I said, yeah. Uh, so I think that company countries are going to see the value in shifting the food system, but we're just, we've got a little ways to go. Yes, for sure. Um, so uh, have you, um, in, you know, have you seen any other trends in regard to, um, you know, what people are, are investing in? I mean, it seems clear that they're, that they're investing in, in, um, in, 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 in precision fermentation. Have you seen any trends in regard to sort of countries that, I mean, you've talked that, you know, that the kind of. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we see, we saw, see a lot of investment from uh, uh, private investment you're talking about, right? Yeah. We, we see from um, North America is is predominant by a large margin. And then Europe, APAC, Australia, Middle East, Africa, and Latin America comes in at the last. So I, I think in terms of uh, investment trends, it's not so much the geography as it is what we're seeing people interested in. So mm. there's, there's uh, a lot more, I think, interest in uh, for instance, novel proteins. So in the plant-based sector, for instance, we're seeing interest in cowpeas and mung beans and chickpeas. And um, right. we're seeing okay. a, lot, a lot more investors interested in, say, ingredients, like I mentioned earlier, alternative fat, which could be either produced through, culti uh, through cultivation or through uh, fermentation. We're seeing more interest, more interest in that. And part of the reason is that that's so much faster to take to market. So rather than investing in a whole cut stake, for example, which may be a little bit farther away, investors are getting more excited about kind of helping improve flavor profiles, taste profiles. Mm. I think capacity is another one that not necessarily the huge capacity, but just capacity in general is something that's uh, pretty attractive right now. And um, I would say hybrids are are of interest a little bit at the moment and blends. And so we're we're seeing some opportunities there. Now on the larger corporate uh, stage, as you know, all of the large food and beverage companies are, or all of the largest meat companies are investing in all proteins in some way or another. So I think we're gonna see a lot more M&A activity and liquidity events 
over the next couple of years. And again, I think that's going to be great for the industry because that helps, you know, companies can uh, all of a sudden get to better resource pools. They can kind of share in the technology. Um, so I, I think these are these are good things that are coming. Um, yeah. yeah. So when you say that the big uh, that the big meat companies are investing, you're you're talking about the likes of kind of Cargill and J and JBS right. and, and yeah. I mean, are they investing a, a substantial amount, or are they, or is you know, are they just sort of making moves to look like they're interested, or or, or is it? Kind no, of- I mean, I, I, they're they're investing substantial amounts. I mean, JBS invested a hundred million in a okay. cultivated acquisition, so I think. Um, of course, there are different different plays that different companies make, but yes, in general, this is uh, this is something they're very serious about. You see a lot of a lot more talk about protein in general versus like being insistent on conventional meat production. Mm. That's been really reassuring because I think we need the very large players in the sector in order to get to where we need to get. Yes. Do you think, um, I know this is slightly off topic, but do you think there's going to be much kickback from, you know, from the meat lobby groups in the US? I mean, I'm I, obviously the, the, the kind of big meat companies don't care where their meat comes from as long as they have meat to sell. But but the the, uh, you know, the kind of meat agriculture, um, is that going uh, to be I, a problem? I, I'm not the right person to talk about that right. because yeah. uh, our, our policy team would have a lot more to, to say about it. Yeah, I think we've certainly seen some kickback, mm. but that's not really where our focus is because honestly, because this is a mandate, it just has to happen. We uh-huh. are going to find a way to make it work. And the lobbies are very powerful in the U S but we're talking about a global food problem. And so as I've already mentioned, lots of countries are involved in this. So mm. am I concerned that the U.S. meat lobby is going to to prevent this from happening? No, definitely not. No, but they could slow it down, I suppose, couldn't they? You know, I think that it could. Uh, but as we've seen many, many times before in the energy sector, for example, there's just so much you can do when a technology makes sense and has a tremendous amount of benefits for the planet before mm. you succeed so again i'm not concerned i think we will probably run into some some friction at some point for sure yeah um you mentioned in, in your list of countries um which which you think are are uh investing money and and uh and, and kind of putting energy into this you said the uk i mean i'm aware that the uk has invested around 12 million last year which yeah. i mean is a very small amount really isn't it for a, a whole country it's very small it was it was 19.9 million last year um, um and, and and that was through research grants it was but yes i think wasn't it and just to, to put the numbers in perspective i think um last year singapore invested 123 million Denmark almost 100 million, um, and then Israel 18 million. So you know the numbers; it's, it's a broad swath of of numbers. Yeah, and but, Israel is obviously doing very well with their um, yes. with their industry as well, aren't they? Yes, they are. And it's uh, I just t- taken aside to say that that ecosystem is absolutely unbelievable. They are mm. so committed 
what they're doing. And despite everything they're going through right now, uh, these founders are out there working hard for the sector and uh, GFI Israel is working hard as well. Uh, it's just amazing to see their tenacity. Yes, yes. Have you heard of the uh, of the Horizon of the Horizon project in Europe? No, which, I have not. It's a it's a project um, which is uh, is kind of funding all efforts to try and reach net zero, and they've got a budget of around sort of ninety six billion. And so there is, and so there is, um, and, and and so they are, and so they are using a proportion of that for for cultivated meat and and uh, oh yeah i did i did hear about the funding that was coming to cultivate meat i did not know that it was horizon specifically so my apologies yes yeah. oh that's all right and so so horizon horizon are investing in in kind of multiple companies kind of research companies and yeah that sort of thing which which obviously makes the kind of 12 or 19 million from the uk look like look a bit silly <laughs> well none of it is silly it's all needed but yeah we do expect it to grow quite a bit in the next few years yes okay well so are you are you um are you confident that you'll be able to persuade that that the industry will be, will be able to persuade the government to put enough money in then just sort of finally do you think that it it is going to happen that is the uh, billion dollar question i just right. don't know and we we hope so. We are seeing some very favorable uh, signals from governments around the world. And with our government, I will say there there are quite a few alternative protein champions within our government. Um, the Department of Energy uh, Loan Program Office has recently indicated interest in alt proteins and has worked closely with us. We just had a webinar actually that you can access online okay. where they talk about what's available through their program. We are working through some of the obstacles and, and for example, the language that exists in that loan program office, um, it's not necessarily tailored to alt proteins. So companies are kind of having to try to fit into the requirements. Um, but the fact that all of these companies help to mitigate emissions and climate change uh, risk is a big mover and a big um, a big reason that the government is interested in them. So I think as that becomes more and more evident, we will see more and more pathways for the government to fund. Okay. And uh, just finally, before I let you go, Lane, I mean, what's what do you have you got any predictions for next year? Because we are getting close to the end of the year. Do you think it's going to kind of uh, kind of go in the same direction or do you think there might be a kind of turnaround for investment in this space? I think there's definitely going to be a turnaround for investment in the space. Now, whether it happens next year uh, is I, I no one knows. But we we are seeing some signals. We're seeing some activity that feels uh, like things are moving in the right direction. I just talked to a specialist investor last week who was signaling greater optimism and greater deal flow than they, they had had previously in the year and even in 22. So I think that we're seeing a little bit of stabilization. I think people are getting used to the fact that interest rates are just probably going to remain high in the U.S. and they're moving forward. But it's definitely not going to be an overnight kind of turnaround. But I think mm -hmm. we are, I feel like from the investors I've talked to, the sentiment is generally that we're on the other side of the roughest patch. Okay. I hope, I, I hope that's true. 
we definitely are seeing liquidity events that will, I think, fuel a lot of activity in the space and and maybe park in a new day for us. Well, that is a very optimistic way to end it. So we are we are hopefully either at the kind of bottom of the trough or we are past the bottom of the trough and we'll be on our way up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate the chance to to speak with you. And I, I, I do want to end on a very optimistic note because we are we are busy, busy in this ecosystem. There are so many companies out there uh, doing world changing research and changing our our future generations for the better. Um, I don't think we should get too caught up in any media hype at the moment. I think just slow and steady wins the race. Yes. Well, I like to think that kind of science never goes backwards. So it, 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 it will have to out anyway. So, you know, I'm optimistic. Um, and thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you. It's been, okay. it's been, it's been great. Thanks and, so much, uh, Alice.